mechanical freak from Seattle, that city of the future on the bleeding edge of neoliberal dystopia today. I'm Greg. I am on the boat. It's in pieces behind me. Glue and sea clamps everywhere. Brian is uh, in the land boat. <laughs> and we are joined uh, by friend of the show, returning guest, Tony D'Amico, a Seattle teacher, a high school teacher with uh, who's a member of the uh, the local union, Seattle Education Association. Tony, uh, you're here to fill us in on what's going on with SEA. Uh, how you doing? <sighs> doing all right. It was, uh, <laughs> pretty big, pretty big turnaround from uh, picket line to first day of school. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Congratulations. You're, you're back at school today. Um, <laughs> I'm sure a very productive day all around. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, and uh, maybe people know this, but uh, SCA went on strike. Uh, the, your contract was up uh, this summer. There were some negotiations for that, obviously. Uh, you ended up striking and uh, struck for four days, uh, four school days uh, through the weekend. And you were back uh, apparently yesterday, um, uh, something changed there you, cause you're back at school today. Uh, so uh, we want to get to that stuff. Maybe you can take us back though. Um, tell us about the negotiations, like what the main yeah. issues were. Yeah, happy to. Um, and you know, the, like these, these things happen, um, they take a long time, like the development of what they're going to bargain for and prioritize. And there's a long process that goes into it. Um, oftentimes it's the loudest people in the room um, and the people who, you know, teachers get burnt out and are tired. And so a lot of the teachers who are like most needing um, a change in the contract oftentimes don't have the capacity to to advocate for themselves and to, mm-hmm. to work with groups. And so um, it took a long time and our, our union leadership and bargaining team, um, you know, they're a, they're a leadership that have been at, the bargaining table their whole time um, as leadership because they took over a few months before um, COVID began. And so it's been constant health and safety protocols and, and bargaining um, that, that led up to that was that have, have, they're still ongoing. Which we um, talked uh, to you about last time you were on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so this was a leadership team that I think, you know, thought they had a good relationship with SPS and the, their bargaining team. <laughs> Mistake and, number and one. Great, great starting point. Love to hear it. And, and maybe, maybe you should never think that. And I think <laughs> that they thought, um, so, you know, it's interesting because they've been at the table with these folks, a lot of these folks for a few years, um, you know, maybe a little optimistic when they were coming down there, but they, they negotiated, started negotiating really late, right? Mm-hmm. Highline had a, a deal a week after school got out. Um, Tequila had a deal over a month ago and we started negotiating late and, uh, you know, Seattle is an interesting district where like, you know, we're divided along a lot of lines or socioeconomic lines. We're divided on North and South and Seattle is a union. Seattle education is 6,000 members, you know, dozens and dozens of schools that have different needs. And um, so negotiations are tough um, because you, everyone's going to be mad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the unique way that America chooses to fund schools even helps to create these divisions within the union itself, right? You know, if you're at 
one school who I guess we can guess what the student body of that school looks like versus another school, you know, you could have very different needs, problems, et cetera, that need to be addressed. You know, I, I, if you've ever been part of like a union bargaining, this is always like this part of the what colors that makes it difficult, right? A hundred percent. And like, and that's a thing too, is that, I mean, like I teach at Lincoln high school, it's the biggest high school in the city and in the school district, it's the biggest school in the district now. And it's a school and we just got to be honest, like, like I often, I like to say as a teacher, we see the failures of our social system every day. I see kids who Mm -hmm. come to school hungry. Well, Lincoln's a very privileged school and it's a school where a lot of people are not going to see the real needs throughout the district. We don't see a a lot of the same things that happen at Franklin or Cleveland or Rainier Beach or Chief South. You know, Frank, um, Roosevelt, Lincoln and Ballard are very, very privileged schools compared to those schools. And um, yeah, and it's, it's also a lot of times we we lose track that these, that these union, it's not just a teacher's union, right? It's an education mm-hmm. union. And so we have support staff and office staff who are always forgotten about and never treated the way that as with the respect that they need to do their job successfully. Yeah. And I mean, that seemed to be at, uh, you know, one of the core issues in the contract fight itself, right, was you were telling us earlier about this issue of counselors at the schools and uh, caps for the counselors and things like that. Yeah, and like, met a lot of dead teachers in my life, not met a dead counselor. Every counselor is, is I've ever met is, is super good at their job, very personable. Um, they balance a million things at once and it, it wears on them that they cannot give the support that they need to their students because we just don't, we don't allow them to be successful. And, you know, we've lost our head counselor the last two years. And when surrounding school districts are 275 to one for counselors, and I, I forget the organization, I want to say it's the National Association of Counselors, recommends 250 to one for caseloads. Seattle's is 375 to one with no teeth. And, and so mm-hmm. councils are always over that. And those are the mm. people you go to if you if you are if you're uncomfortable at home, if you've experienced sexual assault, all these things, you're the one that that mm-hmm. students are supposed to go to. And they've also got to help you out with your career, your you know, your mental health, your schedule, all these things. And Seattle Public Schools um, doesn't care about their counselors. They must just feel like we're in, a, we're in a big enough city that attracts enough people to want to live there that we don't need to worry about retaining the superstar staff that we have. And yeah, it's it's that's a that, that was a big loss. I think we we saw on um, that the union was pushing to change the caseloads from three seventy five to three twenty five. Didn't get it in the in the TA, and so we're stuck with the same crappy situation for our counselors as we've had the last several years. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, because of the way we've chosen to organize social life, family life in the United States, I mean, counselors at schools really are the only people that can look into that black hole that is the American family, right? That uh, yeah, do find out if a kid's being abused or not and things like that, you know? I mean, it's they, they, they play an outsized role that really one person shouldn't be playing, <laughs> that we should have huge structures in our society to take care of, but we stick it all in this one person and then say, ah, do it for like 400 students. Yeah. We, we stick it in schools too, right? It's not yeah. a country that has a public healthcare system or, you know, decent public housing um, programs that can actually serve a lot of the things that get dumped onto counselors 
in schools. Um, and you, you hit it like when you mentioned like the, the way that we've decided to organize society, what happens is who are we organizing against? Is it the district? Is it the city? Is it the state? It's, it's really hard. And it's like, it's almost like the people who don't want anyone to organize created a perfect system that made it challenge, like made it a big challenge. And so what you have in Seattle is you have a lot of people who might be sympathetic to these things, but will say, look, we can't afford it because of our state spending, like the way that we organize our spending by the state. We don't have an income tax. We've got caps. We've got school levies. We don't, we need the state to fix these things. And so it's like, okay, should we organize and, and work to try to do that? Should we try to, you know, and it's like, well, no, of course not. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's the district, and then what are we doing? So it is hard because Washington state has a ridiculous tax structure and a funding structure for schools that is just not, not sustainable. Um, and so then we all, we're all pitted against each other. Right. And so it's, it's tough, right? It's tough. Yeah. I, you know, uh, the beauty of federalism, right. Is that there's always somebody in the chain to complain about, right. So that if there's reforms you don't want to do, you never have to do them. <laughs> You know, it's, it's, 100%. Uh, it's like what the rotating villain almost, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like um, the other, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go keep going. I was just going to talk about other people in schools that get the shaft. Because mm-hmm. you, you have people who work in uh, special education and multi work with multi-language learners, or formerly called English language learners or um, students with English as a second language. And the district tried, like, there's, like, there's pretty strict, like, caps on, like, how many students you can have on a caseload. The idea behind that is so that there's not too much stress, not too much work going into one person, and that the district will hire more people as to, to meet the needs of our students. And they wanted to remove these caps with, like, really flowery language around, you know, the caps are a, a racist structure that we want to get rid of. We want to use language that says like, we'll, we'll have, we'll be able to meet the students needs and things like that. And it's like, well, you need to write that into the contract, how we're going to make that work. Because mm-hmm. you can't just, you can't just say that because what's going to happen is you're going to exploit that teacher. Yeah. And there's no recourse for the teacher to have that. And, and, you know, we did get some wins there. We did get some wins there in the TA and those caps are remaining in place. And there, and there are some more resources going to, um, multi-language learners and special education. And I think the special education and the counseling thing are not entirely related, but, you know, coming out of COVID, we, we have a mental health crisis, a youth mental health crisis that is really, really bad. And I, mm-hmm. I don't think that the rest of society is attuned to this, you know, especially, you know, people who are just kind of, you have the people who are very much like, Hey, look, we're still in COVID. And you've got the people who are very much like, oh, thank God I can do whatever I want now. Um, well, we need, what was the impact on our young people? And what we, we know, the answer has been like that kind of isolation, um, that kind of anxiety, being, being away from people their own age in, in, a, in a really important year, two years of their life. And, and I think these moves were all necessary under COVID, but we got to prepare for what was coming after that. And instead, the school district, like, they really wanted to focus on how there was a huge drop in enrollment. But that's something that, that that's ridiculous. Like, yes, there was a drop in enrollment. Like, people took their kids at a public school to be homeschooled or to go to private school. 
Um, that's true. That's that's a fact. But that's temporary. And there's what we've seen already is that Lincoln was 200 kids over projected enrollment. And that's a thread throughout, like that's common throughout the city. And, and the way that the school districts do that is they under hire, they under this, they underdo everything. And then they, they try to fill the gaps in October. But it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's absurd because at that point, you know, you could have had a month of relationship building with staff and students for one. And also like um, it's hard to find people in October. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you're essentially hiring to fully staff a school, you know, a month and a half into the school being in session. I mean, it's it's madness. It's it's insane. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah. And I, on the on the staffing point, I mean, this this issue of funding is interesting, right? Because, I mean, the idea of like headcount funding, which is how, you know, like funds are allocated for schools based off of headcounts and things like that, which you know, all dates back to like, uh, you know, Brown v. Board of Education and, and everybody fleeing to private schools and then basically being like, how can we choke the public schools even more in a, in a community? But uh, that that funding, I, w- I was reading, you'd sent us some articles and I was reading, there's this insane thing in Washington State, which I'd never heard about, which is out of control, which is for special education funding. The state doesn't allot funds for special education based off of actual special education headcount. They just came up with a number out of nowhere that 13% of students at any school are in special education, and that's the funding. And if your school has more than that, well, fuck it, find the money. You know, you just got to find the money somewhere else. And it's really crazy. Like, you know, I mean, there are lots of schools that have more than 13% of the kids in special education. Oh, yeah. yeah. And and the thing that's insane is that we then, where do we come up with the rest of the money? Yeah. And we, take, we take it from the general, we take it from general education, just, which we need to do it. Great. We also have to understand that, like, <laughs> I've got 35 kids in some classes, right? Like, and, and that's a thing is where, it gets really hard because we're all kind of pitted against each other. I'm okay with the bigger classes if we're properly funding these other things. Um, but it's like in Seattle, like at, at some point, 35 kids in the class is a breaking point, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's so important, especially in like a history class, socially, any kind of humanities class where kids need to express opinions and kids need to be uncomfortable talking about some topics in order to push their learning on things and you've got to get to know your kids, they've got to be able to trust you and you got to feel them. And it's like, well, if I've got 35 in a class, it's hard. And like, I don't need 18, mm-hmm. but like, I think like 24 to 28 is a sweet spot. And we got to, we got to work for work on that. We're, this is the, we had a first graduating class since 1981 last year. And we're now the biggest school in SBS and 35 kids in a class is tough. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah, at the college I work at, our cap is 20. And, you know, we're doing, I'm doing like technical education or whatever. But even at 20, it gets really difficult because students need one-on-one time. They need, you know, students have individual needs that you have to attend to as a teacher. And like, there's a number past that you cannot actually do that anymore. And you're just yelling into a void and they're just sitting there and nothing's, nothing's really getting done you know, for a good chunk of them. A hundred percent. And like, you know, you see like my favorite state senator in Washington state, Reuben Carlisle, who like the way that he frames this entire conversation is about money. And it's like, when you start the conversation about what students need, students needs and how to best serve your students who, who are individuals who have very different needs, who need that one-on-one time, 
and might need a lot of other supports. When we start that conversation with money, like you lose me right away. Cause I'm like, we start with what our students need. Like, what are we doing? If we're not investing in students. Like, what are we even thinking? Mm-hmm. And the fact that like we are fighting for like a part-time caseworker in schools is just like wild. Like, why are we fighting? Who are, who's against this? And then the conversation comes down to money and it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. Washington State's absurd. And then the framing in Seattle so much, so much of the time, you know, you're Bruce Harrell, Jenny Durkin, neoliberal types. And it's all over North Seattle. Anywhere you can see the water in Seattle is someone who wants to start every conversation with their socially liberal, fiscally, fiscally conservative stance. And it's just like, <laughs> what yeah. should we cut from your kid? then like what what do you want out there like i obviously we shouldn't be we should be investing in our kids and not not making the teachers go on strike to fund basic essentials right mm-hmm. well i mean that's the sort of like uh neoliberal sort of two-step or whatever that we've seen for the last 50 years with all social programs is you begin the conversation as if this is you know we're going to treat it like a business what's you know What's the what's the financials and how can we find efficiencies as opposed to just funding the damn thing? And the secret with that has always been that that approach has been about choking whatever, you know, social, you know, uh, welfare organization that you're trying to choke out like that. That's why you do that. That's why they don't do that with the Pentagon. Nobody goes to the Pentagon. It's like, let's find the efficiencies here. (laughs) (laughs) God, do we want to see? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Like the whole point is to make it so it doesn't work. And in Seattle, we have about about a quarter of K through 12 kids are private. Right? I think it's it's second or third biggest in the country. Um, San Francisco is a third, which is wild. Um, and then I think, I think it's Detroit. It's a city in the Midwest, so I'm not exactly sure. And then Seattle. And so Seattle has this thing where they like to use, you know, worse. It's like more obnoxious than any democrat in congress which is like just use the language of the left relentlessly but have like no commitment to doing any of those things Mm -hmm. and and that's that's where we end up you know um, is the school district you're talking about yeah and the school district does this you know they 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 (laughs) if they were honest they would admit one of their primary goals is to get kids from private into public school. Mm-hmm. You can't really blame them because what you get fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars per kid from the state. And okay, so you can't really blame them for wanting more kids in public schools. Yeah, um, I mean that's the rules of the game that we've set out, right? To create yeah. these perverse incentives. You know, we've done this and now we're gonna complain about it. And it's like yeah. <laughs> so okay, so we've got a school district um, that serves a lot of a lot of people in poverty. You've got a lot of stakeholders who are earning well below the median income um, who deserve the best Who deserve the best. And, and the district, you know, it's, it's a weird thing. Like how do you serve those communities that are high needs and how do you also make sure you get more funding? And they might have convinced themselves that the most equitable thing to do is to tar- target rich private school families so they can get more money. And I'm not exactly sure on that, but. The, the biggest issue for me with the funding right now is, and it, this was in a Seattle Times article, um, I think I sent it to you guys, um, by Dahlia Bazaz about mm-hmm. a month, about five, six weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And SPS is just not spending any of the, that money um, 
from the was it the American Rescue Plan or, or was it was a Trump plan? Um, yeah, the S- extra pandemic funding. I think that article said that at that time Seattle had spent fifteen uh, percent of the several million. That I think it was ninety three million dollars. Uh, yeah. Allocated. Yeah, and so it's like, well, is this a thing? They lose the money in twenty twenty four. So like, let's play a little game called "What's going on here." Um, <laughs> they, they lose the money. It vanishes if they don't spend it. And so conspiracy theory, Tony thinks that they basically don't want to set precedent for funding certain programs because yeah, then mm-hmm. that would mean that they would need to keep funding them and finding new resources for that. But I would say, be damned, like do it. And then let's go to the state and make sure that, because everybody's aware that the state needs to fix the way we fund schools. That's not a reason for not properly investing for in what we have with what we have. It, it's mm-hmm. just not. And so, are they going to use those funds? Maybe. I haven't seen a plan or anything, but that was a big shock to people. And also when the teacher, like the education association, when we saw the rainy day fund for SPS, it's substantial, right? It was like a quarter of a billion dollars. And you start to think about things and go, hmm, we have people leaving the industry in droves. And we have a sub shortage so that every day last year, people had to scramble to cover people's classes. And we've got a mental health crisis in our schools with our young people. And so what is that rainy day fund for? Like, what what are we doing? And if our kids are our number one priority, let's invest in them. This comes up, you know, with the city generally, too. I mean, this is a also this this is part of what you're saying about like not knowing who the the bad guy is and on some level it's everybody above right because like if you know ultimately like this the federal government and the state need to and really ultimately the feds need to fund education in this country like that's where the money's got to come from ultimately but like in these moments when some money does come down for whatever reason the the people in charge of spending it you know at the at the bottom end of the funnel, in this case, the the school district leadership are so on board, like just constitutionally, they're so programmed to be on board with this neoliberal austerity program of like, you know, they may have their justifications for it, like, you know, not wanting to come up on this fiscal cliff in 2024, where they have now all these unfunded programs or something that they have to defend that that seems irresponsible to them. But like, there's obviously other ways to look at that, but that that's the situation you're in is like everyone f- from there on up is in this same mode of whether they understand it or not, like choking off public schooling in America uh, of keeping it small and bad, whether they really get it. It's certainly not pushing for any kind of larger change that maybe they could leverage here. And then, Sometimes the various parties at different levels get, you know, aren't necessarily on the same page. So someone now the school district has this extra money that they don't want it. They're programmed not to want to spend because they're not they weren't quite in sync with how fast, you know, we're willing to kill public education in America. It's just a bizarre scenario because, yeah, very easy to imagine. You take that money, you fully fund the school and you then use that you know and and let let uh on some level you know let that shit hit the fan when it does or you know preempt that by organizing by politicking up to that point with with uh the teachers union with parents with 
you know, the broader politics of the state, like whatever. That's something they could be doing. But like at school districts all over the country are also, you know, similarly not spending all of that money. For sure. There. Yeah. There. One thing that's frustrating to me is that like the SEA and SPS too, it's a closed door bargain. Mm. Like we get their updates from each side. Um, the, the school district, of course, has the email and contact information of everybody, every family in the district. So they, they can just like email out their version of the negotiations that day, every night to every family member in the district. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. SEA doesn't have that. We don't have the ability to do that. Um, and we don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. And like, I am a big supporter of open bargains. Like yeah. I, I feel, I feel like that supports the bargaining team more than anything else. And I don't know why as a labor union, we wouldn't support open bargains. Like who does that benefit? That benefits the powers that be that benefits the school district. Let's let the school district publicly say that it's okay to not put a caseworker in schools. Let's say it. Mm-hmm. Like we, otherwise we just allow them to create these very like PR like Uh, explanations on lack of funding or they never talk about what they're against, but they can just craft a statement that says, Hey, we're hoping we can achieve these things with the teachers union. And it's like, I need someone on record to say, (laughs) to say how crappy your proposals are. And there was like a funny, uh, funny, a document for internal use where like every single thing, um, every single proposal from the education association about caseworkers in schools um, or social workers in schools um, was rejected by SPS kept down the line, down the line, down the line. And it was like an internal document that someone leaked. And mm-hmm. so like, I forget the guy's name, but the guy's name was, was like on the document in the Seattle times. And he, his, his, his <laughs> name is just like, we reject all these. And it mm-hmm. was like, that should be public. Like that yeah. should be public. We should know exactly where things stand. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, those, neg- those negotiations are usually pretty grotesque, which is why, of course, they want them to be uh, closed door. And we had just finished negotiating a new contract at the school I work at. And, you know, uh, same closed door. And, you know, the head of our bargaining team at one point was telling us, uh, yeah, the school took money from the state to have more you know, full time tenure track uh, faculty. And they told you know, when we brought this up in the bargaining committee that they're supposed to have this percentage, they just straight told us they're not going to do it, you know, <laughs> like they're never going to do it. And they're just keeping the money. And it's like, you know, like there's criminality in these things, too. Yeah. Right. That would be nice if it was like public as opposed to uh, whispers and meetings and things, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the closed door thing is 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 wild and like. Yeah, I do wonder how much criminal, like how many things are people admitting to behind closed doors? <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, how much uh, how much real negotiating is going on, you know? Because uh, you've talked about, uh, yeah, the, the stance of the union leadership. You know, you had some skepticism about that. Maybe, you know, with that in mind, can you tell us about the organizing that you're a part of within the union? Uh particularly in, you know, you talked to us a little bit about that, you know, uh, almost a year ago in regard to the pandemic stuff, but maybe in the lead up, you know, since the end of school, since the end of the contract in the lead up to the negotiations, um, how, uh, you and your comrades within SEA have been, uh, 
organizing within the union. Yeah, it's, it's like an interesting, it's, it's interesting because um, our school is pretty new. We opened four years ago and the first people that were hired at my school were, were like, you know, very, they worked closely with the principal to create a new school basically. And so we've had to do, I became a union rep at the beginning of last year. We've had to do a lot of organizing in our school um, because there was just very little union presence period. And it's also a school that is in North Seattle. We have a wealthier teaching demographic. We have a wealthier student demographic. Just that's just how it is. And so the organizing within the school itself is tough. Um, it's tough. And I've met people in Seattle who said, oh, I've, I'll, I'd never work at a North End school. That's where organizing needs to happen. Um, yeah. This is this is it's a tougher task because a lot of the things that we take for granted or we think, you know, quote unquote, this progressive city, Seattle, um, huh. not a lot of communities um, all over the place here. Um, no, as a. um there is an organization, like a group called SCOR or SCORE, the Seattle Caucus of Rank and File Educators. And I encourage everybody to go follow them on um, all things social media. I don't have Facebook, but I think, I think they're on there. I know they're on Twitter and Instagram, um, Seattle Caucus of Rank and File Educators. And none of our listeners have Facebook either. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all our listeners are 13. <laughs> what's going on on Facebook? Uh, so, um, you know, the, the thing is, is it's a long process to start um, where you work with your people in your building and you push for um, certain things to be prioritized at the district level. And the, this organization um, score, it's an organization that's fighting for all the good stuff, right? Um, necessary raises, but at the same time, more importantly, um, investments in our students' mental health and their well-being. Um, counselors in every school were, uh, and case managers in every school um, were fighting for, of course, smaller class sizes. And we're also fighting for people within our union, you know, like our paraeducators who are um, instructional aides that are oftentimes in classrooms to help co-teach um, classrooms with some high-need students or, or larger classrooms. And they didn't even get laptops last year. Like, like they, we didn't give them anything to be successful. Our, our office staff at our school, someone was, was thinking about it. Like, they, well, if you work at Dick's, you make more than the office staff um, in Seattle Public Schools. And at the first thing I thought about was like, well, hold on. Working at Dick's is hard. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've worked in a fast food restaurant. It was a hard, it was a hard job. At, at the same time, do our do the office staff and professionals in our building des, deserve to make a, a level a living wage in this city? And so when we talk about uh, money for in higher higher salaries, like of course we want it to be higher than inflation, but it, it needs to be framed like one: we want teachers to be able to afford to live in the communities that they serve. Teachers and, mm-hmm. and office, and two. You, you can't have secretaries and, you know, we've got probably got four or five secretaries at our school. Or, no, we probably got six. And, like, they don't make as much as teachers. And and we can't have it. So they need to make take on a second job. And, and at, at least at my school, like, there's a lot of people of color in those jobs. Like, you know, mm-hmm. these are jobs that we have to pay more for. Um, it's, it's mental health. It's counselors. 
Um, it's office professionals. These are the big, these are the big fights this time in our, in our bargaining. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, lots of, you know, I think, I think a lot of schoolwork, it's, you know, kind of lumped in with like care work generally, you know, uh, hospital staff, you know, people who raise kids and stuff like that. And there's just seems to be this, uh, carefully cultivated mentality that like, oh, but you're doing what you love and you're uh, you're doing something helpful, you know, so you don't need money, right? Like if you worked at RJ Reynolds, you'd be doing something evil. So you would need the money. But hmm. here, you know, like uh, <laughs> my wife who works with children, they have a joke that's, you know, you get paid in hugs, right? You know, not money. <laughs> Just it's, it's, such a, it's such a bizarre thing, right? Whereas like the most important jobs that we recognize in society are jobs that like are seen as humanitarian or like, or like you're doing them for the good of the job. And so as soon as you start talking about money, you're a fraud and it's just mm-hmm. like, why, why is it fraudulent or why <laughs> to say that uh, staff in schools should be able to afford to live in the city that they work in? Like, why is that radical? And the thing is too, is like, that's the first, that's like, you know, CBS news and like, Fuck CBS News. They were at our school filming our picket line, having chats with all of us. And then they ran a segment that was all about money on the national mm-hmm. news. And it was like, don't you show your, don't come back here. Like, what's wrong with you guys? <laughs> like, like the, when we start with the conversation about money, we like, we get rid of all of our imagination and all of our ability to think about doing the best we can for our communities. And it's just annoying. Well, and it creates that anti-labor trap that you're talking about before when you're talking about like, oh, you know, this per, you know, this person at the school gets paid less than somebody who works at Dick's or whatever. Right. And I think the money trap, like when the news uses that is very conscious because they want to get people in the discussion. You'll, you'll hear this. Sometimes they'll be like, oh, did you hear teachers have uh, this much time off or get paid this much? I don't get that much time off. I don't get paid that much. And that's the reason why they oppose, you know, something the teachers union is asking for. <laughs> And I think that's sort of like the anti-labor trap that it pe- that they've, again, carefully cultivated for people to get caught in, as opposed to the real question, which is, the guy at Dick should get paid more, just like we should get paid more. Like, yeah, we should yeah. all get paid more. It's crazy. I'll never forget, this kid last year was like, he told me he wasn't that interested in um, like thinking about career or life after high school, and he just wanted an easy job, like to work at McDonald's. I was like, dude. <laughs> you and me would struggle there like i don't know that, that, that i wouldn't call that an easy job um but yeah i mean the it, it comes we we have people who have to compete with each other for the same thing of funds and we don't actually just talk about the most important thing which is we need to fully fund our schools yeah yeah well uh you know the last week or so there's been teachers up on 99 up where i live on the like walkway bridge and stuff uh I've had to go there several times to hit the Petco to get stuff for my cat. But <laughs> well, in there, the sort of uh, the the straw poll of drivers on 99 seemed to be pretty affirmative for the teachers. There's a lot of love, a lot of honking for the teachers. I did see six SPD SUVs hanging out over there for no apparent reason. I don't know what that was about, but uh but the, there seemed to be like a lot of supporters. I, I think people actually do like teachers generally. Um so given, you know, community support, given the teachers are they're walking out, you know, for the first week of school, 
surely SPS caved to all the demands, and that's why you guys are back in, right? So, so what happened? Why why were you at school today? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's. Um, sorry, my cat is just losing it over here. Um, <laughs> I think that you know you have SPS out, either SPS out or SPS directives from for admin to essentially count who's out there every day. And it, it's sort of like a, how long can they last out there? And are they going to get tired out there? And are teachers and educators, people who work in schools, do they have children that are, that are making things tough? And I think like there's one, there's, there was really good organizing by SCOR, Seattle Caucus of Rank and File Educators, uh, and we had some templates and we had rules on the picket line and we had childcare, all these things figured out. And so we were ready to go. Like we were, we, we were really well organized within my building and we, we thought we could last a while. And it's like, how do you tell people like, this is This isn't, we're not out here for two days and then we turn it around. We don't know. And there is just like, you know, there was a school board meeting that, uh, tonight which would have been a good thing to be able to organize around. It's very hard with our union leadership to kind of understand what the game is here, because for a few days it was collective action strike really fired up. And then all of a sudden it was a contract and a TA or a TA that comes out that that doesn't meet the needs of our students. And so you have to wonder like SEA leadership, what's the end game here is the end game you know, are you doing the thing you love the most on earth? And that is fighting for students and communities and going to bat for them against the school district. Is that the thing? Or is it, you know, I don't know. Like maybe this is, you don't want to damage your relationship with the district or things like that. But to me, the counts, the, where we ended up with on the TA with counselors is inexcusable. Um, and we just, we, we're going to lose them all. And we, what was frustrating is that, okay, we get that the SEA board of governors, right? The SEA board, they, okay, fine. The, the bargaining team, they might not like the rank and file, fine. But what happened on, on August 31st is we passed a motion at the general membership meeting that said, we will not end a strike until a TA has been ratified by its members. So we're on strike until we ratify a TA, this is the best way we have to show our powers, our collective action is to withhold our labor. The moment we stop withholding our labor, we lose all of our power. And so we got an email late in the night, between 10 o'clock and midnight, depending on the people I've asked, we, had, we got an email that said, hey, there's going to be this motion tomorrow um, that's going to undo that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's sort of a tricky thing because, okay, a motion, if you're given prior notice, only needs 50%. It doesn't need two-thirds. Okay, so that email eight hours before our meeting apparently was the, the notice. Um, but it was pretty clear that our board and our bargaining team and our leadership were going to push really hard to undo that motion from August 31st, and that would just push us back to school the next day. And so, And so that's what happened is that we passed a motion, you know, I was against it. We passed a motion yesterday to end the strike and to return to school. We have not seen the TA yet, right? We have the <laughs> summary. We have summaries. We have summaries of the TA, and yet we're back in school today. And, and, you know, once you withhold, you know, 
like I said before, like once you stop withholding your labor, you've lost all your power and there's no way we're going back out in the picket line. Like um, voting to end the strike was as good as voting for the TA and, you know, and they kept telling us, Oh, you'll have 72 hours. You'll have all this time to vote. Yada, yada, yada. But it doesn't matter. Like as soon as we end, we suspend the strike. That's a huge blow to, to our movement to actually fully fund our schools. Um, I don't know. Maybe our maybe they were tired. Maybe they were. But I I do think what's odd to me is it felt like once that document got leaked that SPS was rejecting all these caseworkers and um, additional counselors. I felt like we had the PR machine. I feel like we had we had we we were look we were looking good in the media, right? There's a lot of stuff in Seattle that people in wealthier families don't understand about inequality and racism and equity. I think our community all understands mental health pretty well. Mm-hmm. So I think when it came down to not funding mental health, we had big support in our communities. And but you, you know how it gets played out is that when a TA gets met by the bargaining teams, there's a lot of motivation to pump out <laughs> that there's an agreement reached. And so it would look bad for teachers to not return to work. And, and so we had that going against us as well is that, when people see TA reached, they prefer for them to go back to normal. Mm. And without addressing a lot of structural issues, we have returned to normal already. Yeah. And it's just really difficult. Like you said, if you agree to go back to work, it's really difficult to rescind that, right? One, you have to motivate teachers again to go back out on strike, which is not an easy task. But at the same time, for the community at large looking at it, I mean, it, it's like a bit clownish, right? You know, like makes it look like an idiot, you know, and that's difficult too, which is why, as you were saying, I mean, once you go back, the game's over. Like you, you've agreed to whatever SPS has come up with. And the crazy part is you haven't even seen it yet, <laughs> you know? I have not seen the TA. And so we've gotten summaries that were presented to us by the bargaining team. Not going to say that. I didn't, don't think they did anything like nefarious there, but it's like... There was a funny moment when it was like kind of people, oh, do we think we got the best deal possible? Of course they think that. Like, yeah, <laughs> of course they think that. Well, they could tell you, no, I'm an idiot. I fucked it up. Yeah. You know? <laughs> They're not going to say, hey, I have to, sorry, vote yeah. for this. It's not going to happen. So it's one of those things where um, I think that there was some people who were kind of getting tired and they mm-hmm. th- that vote kind of flipped quite a bit. Um, the vote. And I, I thought we, I, I always think that you withhold your labor before you get um, the TA ratified. Um, Cause I think it's a huge motivating tool to get things done. I think that helps push them. Um, and it also has a lever, like a layer of accountability to, a, to the bargaining team, which is like, you've got to go face your members and pitch this. And um, they did. And then uh, we ended the strike. So, yeah, and I mean, we we talked about on the show maybe a year or two ago, we recounted the story of how Boeing essentially broke the machinist union. And a big part of that story was the leadership of the IAM itself. And I think from the outside, sometimes people look at unions and think it's this monolithic thing as opposed to it's an organization made up of people and you have to have a political fight within the union, right? You know, 100%. And, you know, in order to to actually, you know, to have a good union, to have it do the things you needed to do and, and not sell you out and shit, right? And that's, you know, that's tough. And like I always tell my students, right, like a union is merely democracy in the workplace. 
Like it's, mm-hmm. it's nothing, nothing more or less, really. It, it just depends who's in that democracy, right? We have really racist right-wing democracies in the world. We have really, like, so we have socialist democracies in the world. It, we don't know. Like it just depends on the people in that union. And Seattle Education Association, we got 6,000 members. Um, it's always a fight, right? Mm-hmm. It's always a fight. And it, the biggest thing for me is like, can, can we get our members to see something that's not right in front of their face? Because it's sort of like, I don't see the issues, so everything's fine. And they view union work as like mildly annoying and like as a procedure, as opposed to a, a real mechanism to enact change. Like we, we, we have this tool now, right? Mm-hmm. We have, we're in this union, this is, this is a big union. We can fight and advocate for stuff and we can enact change. And um, it's tough to motivate members who, who might be more, you know, socially or socioeconomically well off. Um, or politically not as engaged or in, in, or indifferent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're just in a position where they're, uh, fine, right? Like they, they don't have a problem at their school. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing, right? It's like, I don't know how my school voted, but I think my school is one of the most privileged schools in the district. <laughs> and I don't know. I, I, my, my, my spidey sense tells me that, um, we were probably a majority in the strike school. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why it's so important that we get teachers. Um, it's, it's, it's easier to organize at Franklin than it is at Lincoln. It just mm-hmm. is. And, and it takes a lot of work and it takes some battles and it takes some arguments and a lot of work. But uh, I, I yeah. think, yeah, I'm, ex- I'm excited about our, our, our staff at the moment. Um, I just think we need to continue to grow and, and, and think about like what is possible instead of, well, let's first look at the state funds. Like, let's not start there. Let's start with mm-hmm. what we owe our kids and our, our communities. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, this is, sounds like, uh, I think we've gotten the basic picture here. Obviously, you know, no one knows what the contract really says, but uh, you're back at school. It, uh, always, it's good to just hear what's going on with SEA and, you know, uh, check in with anyone doing, you know, any kind of labor action out there in town. Uh, is there anything else, though, that, you have to add? Yeah, I'm trying to find Seattle Caucus of Rank and File Educators. Give them a follow on Twitter and Instagram, maybe Facebook if people still do that. The Twitter handle is Rank and File Ed. Mm-hmm. Cool. And give them a follow and um, give them some support as we keep advocating for the for the the good, the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, okay, sure. well, yeah, thanks for what you're doing and thanks for coming on and telling us about it, Tony. Good to have you. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right, thank you. All right, uh, yeah, uh, good night, everybody.